I'm excited. I don't know what it is. I, I love, boy, that worship right there was brought me to the throne, knowing that Jesus is the only one that I can stake claim in. I don't know if it's because it's Super Bowl Sunday and I'm excited about the game. I think what I'm really excited about is starting the book of Daniel. I'm excited about what God's going to teach us and help us and grow us and challenge us and move us because we know we're living in a world uh, that is contrary to God, that is moving further from God than moving closer to God. And we know that in the city, in our culture, in the area that we are, that it is hard to live as Christians faithfully in a world that calls us not to live as Christians. And so as we look through this book of Daniel, as we kind of started and gave a snapshot last week uh, of some principles that we need to think through, today we're going to really look at Daniel for the first time and see what are these elements, what is the way to live in Babylon, what is the way to live in a culture that is far from God, how do we be faithful to God uh, in a place that is far from God? So let's do that. Let's just get right to it because we've got a lot to read and a lot to talk about this morning. We're going to read the whole chapter of Daniel. So if you want to follow in your copy of, uh, 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 if your copy of God's Word or on the screen behind me, you can. Not the whole book of Daniel. Chapter 1 of Daniel we're going to read together. So uh, some of you are like, oh, well, he's getting serious this morning. We're going to read today. No, read Daniel chapter 1. We're going to follow along there beginning in verse 1. All right. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to him, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put vessels in the treasury of his God. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction, and of all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace, and to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to serve in the king's court. Among them, from the descendants of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them other names. He gave them the name Belteshar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief official not to defile himself. God had granted Daniel favor and compassion from the chief official, yet he said to Daniel, my Lord and King assigned your food and drink. I'm afraid of what would happen if he saw your faces looking thinner than those of the other young men your age. You would endanger my life with the king. So Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine that they drank uh, uh, and gave them vegetables. 
God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. And at the end of the time that the king had said to present them, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found as equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to serve in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the diviner priests and mediums in the entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let us pray. God, we pray that you would grant us wisdom as we come to your word. Help us, Lord, as we seek to follow this example, not to be Daniel, but to be more like your son, Jesus. I pray that as we understand your word, that we would be faithful to it. In Jesus' name, amen. One time, a friend of mine had invited me to go to a basketball game, and it was after work. And uh, we were going because it was one of the local high school teams, and it was a, supposed to be a big game. And uh, we were cheering for the home team. And I showed up. I didn't have time to go home. Didn't go ha- have time to go change. And so when I left work, I was wearing like a red and black checkered shirt and happened to wear a black jacket that day. And so when I showed up to the game, guess what was the color of the other team? Red and black. So here we are, we're going, we're on the home team side, and here I walk into the home team to sit with my friend wearing the other team's colors. As you know, I probably got a couple roll of the eyes, why is this guy, he's going to come here and be shouting things that I don't want to hear. But even more concerning were the eyes when I was cheering for the home team wearing the other team's colors. Uh, It was a very awkward situation. But here's the thing. Just by the way that I was dressed, I was being associated with someone that I didn't really want to be associated with. Uh, For example, I have a couple of maroon shirts in my wardrobe, but I don't have very many. Now, knowing that my home team, the team that I played for my high school team were uh, the Salem Spartans and we were maroons, and my college, the Roanoke College, they're actually, they're their mascot was the Maroons. You would think, boy, Pastor Sean would probably have tons of Maroon things. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Especially if I go back to Virginia, I never wear anything Maroon. You know why? Because Virginia Tech wears Maroon colors. Uh, I do not want to be associated with Virginia Tech. I am a UVA fan, and I do not want to be associated with those fellas from Blacksburg, and that's what would happen. Uh, it would be very similar to if, you know, if uh, a Kentucky fan was in Louisville wearing red and black, they might be misassociated, or an uh, Alabama fan would not wear much blue and orange because they would be associated with Auburn fans. It's interesting because it's very quickly that we can be associated with things that we don't want to be associated with. And this is what happens to us as Christians sometimes. Many times we get associated with the world in the way that we behave. Because we have clothed ourselves in sin, more times we look like the world than we look like citizens of heaven. 
But we know as Christians, God has called us to live differently, set apart, more like Jesus, more like our home in heaven than that of the world. And we don't want to be associated with the kingdom of this world. Namely, we know the king and the authority is Satan. The Bible explicitly teaches that we have been given new life with new desires and new goals. And if we're going to try to live in this culture, if we're to thrive in Babylon, the worst thing that we could do is live like Babylonians. The worst thing that we could do is to live like this world. You see, the quickest way for us to lose our voice in the culture is to live like the culture. Because in reality, though we think we're gaining common ground, what happens is we lose our voice to speak into it as the alternative. We lose our voice to say, Look, what you value as the world is not as gratifying and soul-satisfying and joyful and rewarding as what God has to offer. But as we live like the culture, many call us hypocritical, many shut us out, and in many ways we have lost the purifying voice that we have to those around us. Therefore, the first lesson that we learn from Daniel, who successfully impacted his culture far from God. When we read through the book of Daniel, we're going to see someone who successfully represented God and impacted people around us. And the, the first lesson we learn is that we need to be committed to purity. When we are introduced to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, from beginning, they realize to benefit the city, they must live differently than the city. And brothers and sisters, for us as believers, we need to be committed to purity. In this passage, we're going to look at four keys to purity and then three results of purity as time allows But the first we want to look at is the keys to purity. How do we remain pure? Well, first, number one, purity is a commitment to being counterculture. Purity is a commitment to being counterculture. Now, notice what happened. We don't have time to read all this, but in verse 4 through 7, we learn that King Nebuchadnezzar said he wants to assimilate certain Jewish men into the culture so that one, it raises his standing among the people as well as it assimilates them to their culture and they can be an example that other Jewish people would fall in line. And so what they do is they choose some men of nobility who are strong and wise and say, we're going to reprogram them for three years into the culture of Babylon and I'm going to choose them to be my representatives among the people and what happens is is they train them in culture and food and language and so many different things but then they do something even more to change them completely they give them new names now this is different than what we would do we can submit a a paper to the government and we can get our name changed but to change the name of a jewish person was to change their identity because their names meant something of their faith in God. 
As a matter of fact, Daniel translates to Elohim is my judge. Elohim is just a, a word that used the uh, Hebrew word for God or Lord. So God, the one true God, is my judge. Hananiah, his word name means Yahweh, which is the proper name for God. Yahweh is gracious. Mishael, who is like Elohim, is what his name means. And Azariah, Yahweh helps. Now, changing names today is different, but what they did was said, not only do we want you to assimilate into our culture, but we want to change who you are, and we're going to give you new names. And so that's what they did. Belteshar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Each one of those uh, then are translated to different things, a god of El or, or, uh, um, or Baal or one of those false gods are now part of who they are. But though the world would try to change these Hebrew young men, they would not allow the world to change them. Notice that even though they might have uh, taken, been given those names by the, the king and of his people, they would not use it themselves. Look in verse 11 and look later in the chapter. They continue to use their Hebrew names to talk to one another. They said, look, you might call me by a different name, and I might even answer to a different name, but you will not change who God called me to be. Brothers and sisters, Daniel and his friends committed themselves to be counterculture. And if we're going to be pure, we need to be reminded we're going to look less like the world, not more like the world. Daniel and his friends decided to be counterculture. Culture. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to do it on this side. You know, sometimes that we were traveling, and you know, these, some of these uh, pools, they, these hotels, they say they have these heated pools. I've been to three hotels, and every pool, they must not turn the heater on very often because every one of them were freezing. And so Franklin wants to, you know, swim. We want him to get some energy out, especially when we've driven like six to seven hours. We want him to, you know, tire out a little bit and so we go and of course if he goes in then one of us has to go in so it kind of wouldn't be too manly if I just let Sarah go in there without me so I have to go in too so you know every time I've seen someone even people who are there at the hotel come to the cold, the water uh, we know that it would be quicker and easier to just jump in the water and get all that pain out of the way and acclimate acclimate quickly right but do we do that? No. Not everybody I watch are like, put our toe in there. Oh, ooh, it's a little cold. And so, well, maybe if I just kind of start here and you get the water just above your ankles, oh, gosh, I'm getting cold. And you kind of move down a little bit further till it's to your knees. And then, then you get it into your, 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 your hips. And, and then you're just like, okay, I got You just kind of jump in, right? You know, one of the things that the culture does to us as Christians is we don't get drowned by sin in the culture all at once. We do it little by little. And if we're going to remain pure, we have to watch the little decisions as much as the big decisions. Because choice by choice, decision by decision, sin by sin, we don't think it's a big deal, but all of a sudden we realize that we're neck deep in it and we look more like the world than we look like a follower of God. If we're going to be counterculture, if we're going to be 
pure, we have to know up front that we're going to look differently than the world and we must remain committed to it. The people of God must be committed to being counterculture. So in what areas are you more like the world than you are like heaven? What areas do you need to repent and follow and obey God in and repent of what the world has said is good? Today, we need to understand if we're going to be pure, we're committing to being counterculture right off the bat. But secondly, the key to purity is this. Purity is a conviction. It's a conviction. Now, in verse 8 and 9, we see uh, that Daniel, let's just read it. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief official not to defile himself. Now, we don't know why Daniel decided not to eat from the king's table. It could be that he heard the words of Ezekiel. If you read Ezekiel chapter 4, there was a whole list of what God said his people would eat in exile and not uh, some things he, they wouldn't eat. But timeline, I'm not sure how that worked out. It could be. Uh, uh, some people think, well, it's just that he wanted to remain true to Jewish tradition. But I think there's something actually more than this. Daniel knew that his life was going to be different than the culture. And he didn't want to defile himself, it says. Defile himself. I don't want to be defiled. Now, the Hebrew root, when not used for the negative, it means actually to redeem. So with the negative, it almost means this word means unredeemable. Daniel did not want to put himself in a position where he was unredeemable or vile in the eyes of God. In many ways, he wanted to be usable by God, so he wanted to be used by God. He didn't want to defile himself. Robert McShane Murray says, holy people in the hands of God are dangerous things. You see, Daniel did not want to be, he wanted to be able to be used by God. So if he knew that he was taking on the same food and drink as everybody else, that he in some way not, might not be able to be used by God as set apart from the culture. Purity does not happen by accident. It is a conviction. And for us as believers, we must choose ahead of time to remain pure. If we wait for the last second and we, we just, I don't know how I'm going to go with this, we're always going to be pulled by our flesh one way or the other. And so for us, we need to set up boundaries. We need to set up walls. We need to choose ahead of time. We're going to be faithful to God because if we wait, it might be too late and lead to sin. Therefore, we as believers must know from the beginning we will be swimming against culture. We must be committed and convictional to be pure. You know, someone said Christians must be like salmon fish. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, salmon fish, you've seen maybe the videos that they go upstream to spawn. You'll see them, you know, they wiggle up and they're jumping over these, uh, these rapids and they're, they're going up to a deeper pool up river. And so they're always going up against the current. What do other fish do? They swim with the current. They go where it's easy to go, where it's comfortable to go. But as Christians, we know up front 
that we're swimming upstream. And just like a salmon fish, it takes a whole lot of wiggle to go upstream. And we need to be committed and knowing with conviction that we want to remain true and pure to God. Friends, are you thankful for your salvation? Did you, when you sang that song earlier, that Jesus paid it all? If Jesus paid it all, why would we take on in our lives something that Jesus died to get rid of in our lives? Why would we take on something that Jesus paid for? Jesus paid it all. And we must be convictional to the one who died for us to live, to be committed to purity. Thirdly, the key to purity is this. Purity is dangerous. Purity is dangerous. We must know these things up front. Purity is dangerous. In verse 11, it says this. This is how the guard responded. Uh, uh, Verse 10, excuse me. Um, My Lord and King assigned you food to drink. I'm afraid of what would happen if he saw your faces looking thinner than those of the young men your age. You would endanger my life with the King. Now, friends, when you commit to purity, you will stand out from the crowd, and that will be dangerous. How did the commander of the priests respond? He said, look, Daniel, I know what you're asking, and I I like you, but what you're doing is about to separate my head from the rest of my body. If I let you do what you're going to do, you're going to look differently than I get in trouble, not just you. Now, the reminder of this is that we understand that Daniel and his friends were in constant danger, that his choice to be obedient was not a matter of, okay, I'll do this or do this, whatever is comfortable for me this day. It was a matter of, I am choosing to follow God no matter the cost. Brothers and sisters, we should understand this, and we should look to our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. When they choose to follow Jesus, It's not just a matter of how am I going to feel and how am I going to go today. It's when I choose to follow Jesus, I'm putting a bullseye on my chest. I'm pulling a bullseye on my family's chest. That they are willing and knowingly willing to die to follow Jesus. And for us, we need to understand that as we remain pure, that we will have people who come against us because of what we stand for. Listen, I want you to hear this. This is very important. Our goal is not to lose friends. Our goal is not to start an argument. Our goal is not to be prideful in our beliefs. Our goal is to win hearts of people. But we must know this, that as we choose to remain pure, that people will be uncomfortable around us. Why? Because when we are pure, it puts a magnifying glass on where they're not. And it brings guilt and shame to their hearts. And we must live understanding and with careful kindness and with humility. But we must be prepared knowing what following Jesus costs. The reality is this. The gospel saves But when the gospel is proclaimed, it does one of two things. It either heals or it divides. 
And unfortunately, when it's proclaimed in the culture, people reject it or people run to it. And brothers and sisters, if you have people uh, who, who uh, if you are sharing the same message of Jesus, you're going to have people come against you. He promises us this. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus had a crowd wanting to throw him off the cliff. And if there are times in your life where you don't have people who are against you, then you're probably not preaching the same message as Jesus. The reality is we are called counterculture to a pure message, a pure life, and a pure gospel. We rest in the goodness of God, and we are not concerned at the response of others, but instead being faithful to God, which highlights number four. Number four, what is true purity? Well, purity is dependent on God. Purity is dependence on God. Verse 11 through 13 tells the story that what they did happened. He agreed with them to test them. Daniel said, hey, compare us to these other guys and we'll see how things work out. In 10 days, you look at us and you look at them and we'll see how it goes. Now listen, let us not understand, let us understand the, the, the sacrifice that Daniel was making here. He had the choice to eat from the king's table or to eat vegetables. Now, I mean, I don't know about you, but I love me my steak and I love me my bread. And uh, I do not like to choose the, between the two. That is a sacrifice to me and it was a sacrifice to Daniel. But this was a pure commitment for him to live differently and compare himself to God. Now, listen. This was recorded for us, not so that there can be a book made for a new diet plan. This was recorded for us so that we could say and see that Daniel was pure because he depended wholly on God. He did not do it out of his own ability. He did not do it out of his own strength. He did it because he knew God would make it able. And when we choose purity over sin, what we are doing at its core is trusting God over the lies of Satan. Satan tells us that sinning is better, but God is saying, my ways may be harder, but it is more satisfying. My ways may be tougher, but it leads to life. We need to understand that as we live with purity, we need to ask ourselves this core question. Do you believe that God is better than life? Because if you don't, it's going to be hard to remain pure. Because when God calls us to not lie, what we are saying is, is that we trust God when he says truth is more satisfying. When God tells us to abstain from sexual sin outside of marriage, we are trusting then that God's design for sex is more fulfilling than what the world offers. When God tells us not to get high or not to get drunk, what we are staking our life on is that it is better to be sober-minded and filled with the Spirit than it is to be filled with something else. The reality is we are trusting and depending on God and his soul-satisfying love 
and reward than anything that the world can offer. If we want to be pure, it is not by our own might, but our dependence and trust in God. So if we do this, how, what do we expect? Well, here's three quick things that we don't have a lot of time to, to look at. What are the results of purity? Well, we see this in Daniel's life. Number one, the result of purity is that purity brings protection. Verse 14 through 16, at the end of the 10 days, we see that Daniel is looking good, is stronger, or as strong than everybody else. And so here we see that God protects him during this time. The lesson is, is that God blessed Daniel and his friends here and gave them protection and endurance to obey. You see, many times we we think that uh, we hear these stories in the Bible and people say, oh, look, everything happens nice at the end. Well, it doesn't happen nice always at the end. But what God does do is he protects us with endurance by the Spirit. But he does even more than that. He helps us, encourages us to walk through that temptation. For when he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humility, humanity. Excuse me. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide you a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. God protects you through temptation. And the result is God, as you draw near to him during that time, he will draw near to you. But also something else. God gives you protection from failure. Because some of you here from the very beginning have thought, Pastor, there's no way I can do this. Pastor, I have failed this week. Pastor, I know that I'm not perfect. How could I do what you're asking me to do? Here's the good news. You have taken the first step in the gospel. You have found what the gospel says, that we aren't perfect. We are failures. We will continue to fail. And the good news is is that God loves us. And the good news is is that Christ came for us. And the good news is, is that as we fail, His grace abounds more. And that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died on a cross so that one day in heaven when we stand before God we will not say God judge me on the way that I tried to be perfect or God judge me on the things that I did instead we will say God judge me on him because he is perfect my faith is in Christ my faith is in him God, love me because you love your son. Brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel is purity comes from protection because Jesus paid it all. And God protects us as we seek purity. And God protects us when we fail from purity. We must be reminded that as we chase purity, we are not chasing a God so that he might love us. We are chasing a God who already loves us and sent his son. And therefore, we do everything that he calls us to do. And that is protection. Secondly, 
the result of purity is purity brings understanding. It is read that God gave understanding to Daniel and his friends for all things, great wisdom. And the reality is their fight for purity brought them understanding, not just for the things of the world, but for the temptation that was to come. When they committed to purity early on, and the choices that we'll read about in the, next, in the rest of the book, those choices was a whole lot easier because they started with purity. They had understanding with what Satan was going to throw at them, and they knew how they could overcome. When you remain pure and you depend on God, you will find the sweetness of relying on Him, and in the next temptation and in the next trial to come, you will be prepared more than ever. And thirdly, the result of purity is this, it brings clear witness. Verse 19 through 21 tells the part where, G, where uh, Daniel and his friends were brought before King Nebuchadnezzar and, and they were tried and they found out that they had more understanding 10 times than anybody else in all of the land. And they had a voice into the culture, to the ear of the king, because they remained pure. See, purity does turn people away, but integrity is where you gain the voice and the culture. You see, as Christians, if we are not people of integrity, we have no voice to say anything. And the concern that I have is that in ministry, in the workplace, in the home, success is valued more highly than integrity. But if you read the Bible, integrity is always more valued than success. As we think about how we want to be a clear witness to the culture, we must be citizens of heaven. And if we're not pure, we become hypocritical and people will have nothing to do with what we say. First Peter chapter 2, he writes, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that in a case where they speak against you as those who do what is evil, they will, by observing your good works, glorify God on the day of visitation. Brothers and sisters, remain pure so that your life-giving words will not be overshadowed by your lack of integrity. I talk to Franklin all the time about being a leader. I say, Franklin, be a leader because leaders don't do what your friends push you to do. You be a leader because your behavior impacts others. And when you misbehave, as he was doing earlier, or as, as you dishonor your parents, people who are younger than you can't look up to you as a place to follow. How much more important is that to hear as adults, as children? How can we call people to the all soul-satisfying, loving reward of God if we cannot trust in the reward and satisfying nature of God ourselves? So how do we live in Babylon? With purity in the world. May we see that there's something sweeter and better and more satisfying and God-glorifying as we live more like Jesus than the world. 
A farmer regularly would take his goods to the local farmer's market, and when he did so, he took two vats, one of cottage cheese and one of homemade apple butter. And he would normally go and he would use one ladle to to ladle out fresh to these people and the containers that they would bring. One day he forgot that he forgot two ladles and only brought one ladle. So he didn't know what he was going to do. So he said, I've got to sell this stuff. I can't make it to go to waste and I've got to make a living. So I'm just going to use the same ladle. Well, as you can imagine, things started to mix. And by the end of the day, you couldn't tell one thing from the other. Let us be careful. As the more we mix ourselves with the world, the harder it is to tell which kingdom we belong to. Be careful that the more that we mix ourselves with this world, the less we look like a citizen of heaven. As we think about this and remind ourselves of the gospel, fix your eyes on Jesus, him who is crucified, raised, and exalted. He is the one who pioneered the route home. He is the route home. Trust in him. Ask him to do a work in you to be faithful. Be a breath of heavenly wisdom to those in your home, your school, and your workplace. And be constantly dependent on him and his sanctifying work to keep you faithful so that you might be a Daniel. Let us pray. God, we ask you today as we come to you that we are reminded of the call to enact and live in the culture is to be one of purity. God, I pray today that someone here who does not know you and can't answer that question, what will I say when I stand before God one day? God, I pray today that they by faith would take the righteousness that was earned by your son Jesus, that they would trust in his work in the cross so that they would know eternity with you is theirs. May today the day be the, be the day of their salvation and where they by faith repent of the things of this world and trust you, your son, as Savior. And God, I pray for those of us today who have trusted your son for salvation, that we would be people of purity, following the Savior who died for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.